This initiative, if you think about decarbonization within the utility industry as just a big giant change management project, then let's follow some of the principles that work in that particular paradigm. And that's at a grassroots level. So that's in your communities, that's with your neighbors, that's with us in this discussion, that's with your children, that's with your parents, it's, it's in your schools, it's everywhere. Um, and it's within those conversations that you begin to build actual traction. Hello and welcome to On The Grid, Z-Prime's podcast about important issues regarding energy, cities, and much more. I'm your host, Ricky Murray, and today we're talking decarbonization. We are live and in person. Making her podcast return on the grid with us is Angel Lance, the founder of the National Public Utilities Council. Angel shares how the MPUC is tackling decarbonization, how utilities can better enter utility communications, and utility decarbonization trends that she's noticed throughout its inaugural year. Angel also shares some surprising utility decarbonization revelations. So turn up your speakers. It's time to get on the grid, y'all. I'm your host, Ricky Murray, and joining me today in person at ETS 22, making his return to the On The Grid podcast, we have Dylan Lockwood. Dylan, how are you this morning? Welcome back. Uh, I'm doing great, Ricky. Glad to be back, both at ETS and and on the podcast. Uh, You've you've kept things in uh, good shape since I've been out. Also joining us today, making their return to the podcast, we have the founder of the National Public Utilities Council, Angel Lance. Welcome back to On the Grid. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing excellent, and I'm in person. Yeah, we are. It's it's exciting to see people outside of the computer screen and (laughs) in real life interacting again. That being said, we are in person at ETS, and you had a panel yesterday with leaders from across the utility sector who are really leading the way in decarbonization. How did that session go? Did you have any hot takes from the session that you want to share with us? Uh, sure. Uh, the session, I think, went went well, although it was the first time I'd ever moderated anything, so I, I don't have a frame of reference, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't see myself uh, or the panel as it was happening, so... I can't actually decide if it, if it went well or not. I was in the room for the previous panels leading up to the one that we had, um, and I, I noticed a couple of interesting themes um, that played out also in the panel that, that we conducted. Uh, that folks, uh, no matter what their topic was, almost every single panel or every single discussion, there's a fireside chat and some other things, they all <laughs> ended up talking about decarbonization. Mm. Um, every single one of them. Great. That's a good thing for the National Public Utilities Council. It was. I was like, man, this is sort of scripted, and it's like <laughs> leading up into uh, into lots of the topics that we discuss in the council. Um, so I, I thought that was uh, an interesting thing, and, and I, I'm seeing more of it today, where you know, folks just almost, almost inevitably in every conversation land on decarbonization, land on clean and green, land on you know, batting around or debating you know, a road to net zero or zero carbon, as the case may be. So that was good. Um, in our conversation with SMUD and with SCL uh, and with Constellation, I, I thought it was a dynamic conversation since we had we had somebody who was um, a power broker 
to the utilities. Uh, oh, nice, so nice. I, I feel like that's pretty a pretty interesting perspective to lend to the conversation. Uh, also, SMUD and SCL, um, from our council's work over the last year or so, I feel that they are really on the forefront of decarbonization and they're really driving solutions. They don't always work, but they're definitely like offering up solutions. Um, and I would say maybe even in stark contrast to many other utilities in the United States. So I'm proud of them. And it's interesting. One of the things that was you know brought up on your panel, Nancy Bowie-Thompson from SMUD, she, uh, you know, she said that even SMUD can't get all the way there uh, by themselves, you know, there's going to need to be assistance from, uh, from like a unified national strategy, whether that's like, you know, federal dollars or just some kind of, you know, better, better strategy. And that's sort of what the NPUC has always been about is, is, uh, you know, furthering the conversation of decarbonization by having, um, utilities like discuss strategy and expectations in an honest way. And, uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious uh, how you know that we're get it going into our second year of uh, of the MPC. How you feel that that um, conversation has been going, and if there's you seen any uh, successes? Uh, well, I definitely see trends. Um, I don't know if I can call them successes um, yet. Um, the NPC endeavors to to open up honest conversation, like you said, Dylan, and I have noticed some things, uh, some trends, such as. Um, in some cases, a lack of education around climate change, climate effect, uh, and we've been able to address that, which has been, which has been really um, gratifying and really satisfying. In that, it, you know, we can't we can't make reasonable shifts if we're not all on the same page about what it is we're trying to do. Uh, so that's good. Um, I've also the last year and a half or so, moving into into year two, a trend that has really kind of crystallized, which I think is excellent. It is about the, the four or five barriers, sometimes six, depending on how I remember to categorize them, <laughs> um, basically five barriers that utilities really share um, in order to decarbonize. And, and so the last year and a half and moving into year two, that's becoming more and more um, solidified. And so, so coupled with education and communication, I feel like we, we're, we're arriving on a platform that we can... Um, actively make change on. We can actually, we can actively, the NPUC can be advocates for the utilities around the, really the hurdles that they face. They can educate, uh, the NPUC can educate utilities where, where required and can educate the general populace and sometimes regulators and or um, more um, government official like folks. What, so, what, what are those like four to five barriers you were mentioning? Uh, well, they're uh, chiefly, um, the utility industry tends to face and again, four to five. It depends on how well I, I put this in order. But one, funding, obviously. Um, weirdly, the the United States assumes that each utility is it's like up to them to fund it and figure it out in terms of decarbonization. Like it's your job, whoever you are, because you are my communal, uh, my community's power power provider. Um, what is uh, maybe illogical about that is the grids are interconnected. Right? And it's actually a shared service across our country, uh, much the same way that the interstate highway system is a shared service or a shared um, option across all the states of the continental U.S. 
when those were in, instituted, they were federally funded cause, because it's no one state was on the hook to pay for the interstate highway, right? Yeah. They had a portion of it, but it was federally related. The, the decarbonization efforts through the power grids is the same thing. So, so the, it, we want to really work with, with utilities and with the general population to understand that it's not just up to the utilities to fix this. They, they need, they need uh, federal support and federal funding. So funding's number one. Number two, uh, the social socioeconomic divide, you know, where people are at varying levels of income and varying levels of um, workforce development. So there are neighborhoods all over this country that um, simply can't afford, uh, you know, things like internet or Wi-Fi or LED lights. Um, and so whenever we may try to decarbonize in some way uh, that is maybe technologically related or what have you, folks can't get there. And, and our decarbonization efforts won't work unless we can all get there. Yeah. They just won't. Um, so that's, uh, and workforce development wise, you know, as we close down coal plants or, or decommission nuclear um, options, we displace communities and, their, and really what their economy is based on. And then we don't replace them. I mean, you can't take, you can't take a coal plant uh, manager and have them now just become uh, a wind farm manager. You know, those are different right. skill sets. Right. To that end, additionally, um, folks, we have lots of new technology, like maybe new and improved heating and cooling devices or approaches to city skyscrapers, as in New York, et cetera. Um, but we don't have a trained workforce to be able to go out and actually deploy those things. Um, our electricians and our plumbers and all of our folks who, who help us with these, with the, these standard or maybe typical things in our country have to be trained on new technology and, and how to install it. Uh, so that's, that's sort of two. That's one is funding. Two is socioeconomic divides, making sure everyone gets to decarbonize. Three is workforce development and really having folks that can actually help us do this. Um, four is our favorite and that it's, or a favorite and that it's regulation. Like we have regulatory differences across our country. Uh, and until those things are aligned in a way to decarbonize, we again will be missing the mark. Um, and then the last one is, that's four. Five is technology itself. Um, you heard maybe Nancy uh, Bowie Thompson talk yesterday about how they're 90% there in terms of how they're going to address decarbonization within their organization and, and, and within their communities. But there's a 10% gap of understanding of, that's technological primarily of you know, what else can we do? What, what is next level thinking around new technology or new approaches to, to our energy distribution and energy, energy creation and distribution? So funding, socioeconomic divides, workforce development, regulations or regulators across our country, and then technology. Those are the five barriers for utilities to decarbonize. So when we have these five barriers, we're saying that these are things that utilities are facing clear across the U.S. So let's kind of, let's make it a little more, let's go a little further with it, I guess. So are there things that smaller utilities are, are doing correctly that larger utilities can learn from or maybe vice versa? Well, it is an, maybe an interesting coincidence that those are on the leading edge of decarbonization, uh, like SMUD and SCL, are, um, are public power. They're, they're municipalities and they're small, smaller 
you know, they're, right. they're smaller than some of the larger groups. Um, I, I've, I've, something I noticed from yesterday's discussion, Dylan, was both SEL and SMUD have a, a high-touch approach to their communities. And we're sort of moving into a, a platform where they're prioritizing their, their communities and their customer base above anything else. Um, another thing I noticed is both SEL and SMUD enjoy um, a popular and positive perception by their communities that they serve. I can promise you that my community does not have the same perspective on the utility that services power to my home. Uh, quite the opposite, as a matter of fact, as Nancy mentioned yesterday, in that when the, when the trucks pull up to my house for the seventh or eighth time that day, um, I'm usually not very happy about that. <laughs> um, which which is so crazy because it used to be so long ago that um, that your utility provider when you saw their trucks or you saw the, their representatives, they were, they were a place of safety and of hope. And you would go out and like in the middle of the night in a storm and you'd bring them coffee and you, you, know, you, were, you were in the community with them. That, that is not the case in my neighborhood anymore. SMUD and SCL have a, have a similar approach that is different than, than many other utilities in the United States. It is people first, it is people focused, and it is equitable across all of the people in their communities. They have an emphasis on how to, to rise, to raise everyone's um, access to power and ability to utilize power in a green way. I'd say I think that's the chief difference uh, so far. I mean, when it, when, you know, when it comes to like customer satisfaction, you know, I, I'm thinking back to you know, you said that regardless of topic decarbonization would pop up in some way. And in one of the ways it, it was it was popping up was uh, people showing some, some apprehension about like full, about like a fully decarbonized grid because of uh, reliability and resilience, uh, which with that, what that wasn't, that wasn't one of your, one of your five bears, but I think some of the, some of the utility speakers or some of you know, some of the vendors um, might, is that kind of a, a false choice there between decarbonization and reliability, do you think? Oh, I, I'm prepared to be scandalous about that. Let's that, do it. Yeah? You ready? Let's go. Um, I think it's an excuse. Um, All right. I, I mean, just point blank. I think it's an excuse. Yes, reliability is absolutely critical. Um, yes, resiliency is critical, particularly with more and more uh, weather events. Um, that's the other thing that every conversation that you might notice you're having with absolutely everybody, it includes the weather, um, which yeah. is weird. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, so, yes, I think resiliency, safety, and um, oh, that's even more scandalous. Resiliency, safety, and reliability is an excuse at this point for decarbonization efforts. Um, they're a given. Those are table stakes. Yes, we understand the criticality of them. Um, but it, it doesn't advance the conversation when we talk about those items because we then, and then we talk typically in the, in the discussions I've witnessed about the barriers again. Well, it's too expensive or it's going to be really hard if we, and well, what about, and we don't have the, all of those things. So it, it roots the conversation back where the conversation has been for the last, say, 10 years. And, um... I was noticing yesterday a little bit of that in some of the panels, and I've been so deeply frustrated by going to these to these conferences 
in listening to this, these discussions that have not advanced beyond what the problem is and debating the problem. Very few of these discussions speak about solutions or even hypothesize about what could be, which is really what we're going to have to have if we're going to decarbonize. I mean, there's no way around that. Yeah. So we have to get out in my mind, uh, uh, get away from the excuse, understand it as table stakes, and that's just what we have to work with, and now start to solution um, in all of our conversations instead of wallow in maybe what, what isn't and how hard it will be. Let's think about the actual doing. I like that. So over the time that you've been doing the national the National Public Utilities Council, have there been any like truth bombs or things that just really maybe shook you or thought that you thought, no, we're on the road to decarbonization. What What's going on here? Yeah, um, that's, one, that's a thing I really love about the NPUC or really just day-to-day life <laughs> is, <laughs> uh, is every, I believe that every single person you talk to, you can learn something from every single time you talk to them. Um, and uh, one of the things that came up in a roundtable that um, educated me and blew my mind uh, in, a, in a good way uh, was a, a roundtable we had somewhat recently uh, where one of the utilities spans multiple states. And one of those states happens to be, um, its economy is almost entirely based on mineral extraction and exportation. So it, well, which is, is going to happen, right? Um, and so their perspective on decarbonization is actually pro-carbonization, um, which was a term I hadn't heard. <laughs> it's a bold stance. It's a bold stance. And, um, and I, you know, I live in California and travel a lot to Oklahoma and various other places in the country. Uh, so I guess I'm a little sheltered in that there could, even could be a pro-carbonization stance. Right, that somebody's out there saying that, yeah. Yeah, well, not just a somebody, a whole state, yeah, actually. Whole, um, but I, I really enjoyed this conversation because I learned that, you know, not everybody's on the same page about this, and for really solid reasons. Um, and and so that was that was a kind of a big truth bomb uh, that came out of, a, of one of our roundtables, in addition to another term, which I also deeply appreciated, um, which was uh, many of these utilities straddle states or, um, or political perspectives. Um, and he, he called it straddling the cultural fault line. And I thought, wow, that's another visual and, and really prevalent in our country in many places that it needs to be accounted for. What would you say, uh, based on what you've you know heard from various utilities, what are some common misconceptions about decarbonization that have taken root in the industry? From a utility perspective? Yeah. Well, I, I can think of some that are sort of outward facing it, which I found useful. You know, um, for example, if we we come up with new technology, um, I'm going to make stuff up now. Not a scientist, Let's but. Let's do it. <laughs> Like maybe we decide that um, as a nation, we need to start using hydrogen instead of natural gas, um, which natural gas pretty much fuels most of our country. And what if we did that? Then what? Well, then I, as a, at my house, you know, I would have to start using natural gas in my stove, or sorry, I'd start, have to start using hydrogen in my stove. And as a consumer, I, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. like. What is hydrogen? <laughs> How does it? Is it safe to have in my house? I have children. Is that okay? I mean, I don't know. Um, and and how do I cook an egg now? Does it take like ten minutes or 
two seconds or like what's the difference um so so a misconception is that the utilities will come up with some great idea and that the population will be like yeah awesome let's do that <laughs> right um there's there's definitely a road to educating and, and awareness and also adoption around how it is that, that a utility may come up with something that may be revolutionary but that there, there'll be a process that the rest of the rest of us will need to be a part of to 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 accept and adopt maybe a new approach so hot take utilities aren't traditionally very good at educating their customers and communities on their energy it's something that at z prime we kind of discuss that there are organizations like smud who um, are active in the community letting people know about their power usage letting them know where it's coming from and so i think other utilities probably could learn something from that too of when moving towards these more green solutions oh i would take it a step further i would say that utilities like any company aren't uh, educating their own community within their utility about mm-hmm. these issues. Um, I know when I sent out, when I set out to uh, do the MPC and a few other um, projects that I've got going on for um, you know, climate impact or climate response, um, I was surprised to find that many folks in my own organizations uh, didn't have clarity on, the, on climate change and climate uh, impact. And they didn't have, um, and maybe still don't, uh, have clarity on how energy or their utilities impact their daily lives. Um, then reaching out to the utilities that we currently work with, many people who are our clients also uh, ne- needed and asked for more education around how this relates to them and how it interconnects and all the rest of that stuff. So um, I guess another, back to what you were saying and kind of speaking, furthering what you're talking about, Ricky, and, going back to one of the misconceptions Dylan you brought up is that utilities understand their own impact and that the people within the utilities are, are like everybody's on the same page around how it is we're going to decarbonize that is not yet the case um, I, at least from my experience working with various utilities they they don't have a common message or or common understanding around um, the products that they produce and their impact and the people within the company helping to produce those their impact yeah, I mean, and all right, I guess you know. Let's just go all the way with this, because um, it it definitely can feel at times that like like there's a like there's a lack of the leadership. Like there's a lot of you know cart leading horse when it comes to decarbonization. You know, we we do the we do the benchmarking surveys with uh, for the MPUC, and like when you you know you get res- we would ask like, hey, do you know what your do you know what your organization's like decarbonization strategy is? And if they weren't, if the respondent wasn't like you know, a VP, then they would oftentimes answer that they didn't know. So it's not just that they're not communicating it with their community, they're not even communicating it within their own organization, and which, you know, can give the impression that they're kind of being dragged into it. And like, utilities can go out there and say that, like, oh, cool, well, we have a, you know, we have a net zero, or we have a fully decarbonization goal by 2035 or 2040 or 2050 or whatever. But, like, Nancy on your panel basically said that, like, we're not going to actually, like, do be able to do it just on our own. So, uh, like, what happens when these goals, what happens when these goals are missed? I mean, we just throw up our hands and say, ah, shucks, and just keep going. I mean, that, that seems to be the direction we're going. So, like, I feel like uh, there, yeah, there needs to be, 
leadership from somewhere. Maybe it comes from like maybe it comes from like a federal source, but then they need pressure from the public, and the public isn't educated because the utility isn't educating them, and then the utility needs the funds for that. And it's just like it's like Uraburus of of uh, of buck passing. Hmm. I guess I don't have a question, but I guess that was my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would uh, I would offer up this. Um, through the roundtables, many utilities have been very honest about where it is that they, uh, where they are on their road to decarbonization, what they're lacking, what they're missing. Sometimes they're missing a strategy, uh, and they're very clear about that. And a, a, an awesome thing about the NQC is a utility can say, I'm missing a strategy. What are you doing? I'm in state X. You're in state Y. Can, can, will you share? <laughs> you know, maybe your strategy won't work for me, but it's maybe a starting place that I can jump from and, and be able to to augment for, for my own environment. Um, so so the, that's a great place and a great thing um, because that awareness and that um, that honesty around where folks are be, is the leadership required to, to then start moving in a direction of, of, of some sort. Um, it's when we have utilities who are like, oh, we invented decarbonization and we're well on our way. In fact, I think we already did that in 20, you know, 2010. That level of denial is, is a problem. Um, and it's something else that you were saying around like, you know, where's the leadership from within utilities and does it come from the population? Does it come from the government? Like where, where's the pressure to, to, to think about this problem from day to day? Motive power spends a lot of time doing what we call change adoption or change management, and its entire function is to is to get or one of our service lines. One of the things that we do in our company is we work with organizations to change the way that they approach things, and then change the way that they do things. Um, I'm sure. In, yeah. Usually, organizations only do one. They don't further into the next part. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, when you change the way people do things, or the way they approach things, if you don't change the way that they do things, then it was a totally futile exercise. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which has, I'm sure you've experienced in your own companies or in, in your past uh, many times. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't actually do anything at all unless you follow through. Um, all of those initiatives always work best by starting at, at, at the grassroots level. Um, and this initiative, if you think about decarbonization within the utility industry as just a big giant change management project, um, if, yeah. you, if you think about it like that, uh, then, then let's follow some of the principles that work in that particular like, uh, paradigm, and that's at a grassroots level. So that's in your communities, that's with your neighbors, that's with us in this discussion, that's with your children, that's with your parents, it's, it's in your schools, it's everywhere. Um, and it's within those conversations that you begin to build actual traction, um, which then moves through to the utilities. Again, remember that they are created by people like you and I, <laughs> like that work there too. And so is the government. And so are all of these constructs that we are interfacing with. These are all simply people. So we want to reach them as our brothers and sisters, you know, as our communities. Uh, our extended community, our national community, and then ultimately our global community. Um, that's where the responsibility and the leadership lies. It's with the grassroots connection. Nice. So, so we've talked about a lot of things today. We've talked about decarbonizing. We've talked about some issues utilities are facing. We've talked about the council. All of this really stems in the energy space. So our last question for you today is one of our favorite to ask. 
When we say the word energy, what does that mean for you? Wow. Well, that depends on what time of day it is. <laughs> um, energy in this context for me is anything that um, brings power to your life. Um, uh, I love to cook, so that means gas in my house. I love to read. I love to use my smartphone. I love to drive my car. <laughs> I love. I love to participate um, in day-to-day life, just like you. And 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 so energy to me um, is is a is a lifeblood of our global community. Uh, and it, it it can either be uh, and we're, we're at this you know we're at this turning point. It's either going to be the thing that catapults us to the next level. Uh, or it's going to be the thing that kills us. So that's what energy means to me. It's a big, big deal. um, And it's why I've chosen to start here um, rather than maybe starting in other places like like recycling or or beach cleanups or some of these other things that um, which are also meaningful and important but but I want to go to the source and the source right now of of really um, of an elevating temperatured world and um, much conflict and all these other things that are that are really challenging um, our race, the human race, uh, stem primarily from energy. Nice. We energy is very connected. I, I, it's what we, I always say, whether it's physical energy between humans or the energy we're consuming every day, but it touches everyone. And so I think your answer is so spot on. Thank you for joining us on The Grid today. It was a pleasure having you back on The Grid, and it was a pleasure being the host for my first episode with you. I can't wait for many more. Mm. Also, thank you, Dylan, for joining us on The Grid today. Do you have any last messages for our audience, and any hot takes or little truth nuggets, or just something to really leave them thinking? Leave them thinking. Uh, yeah, in my in my research and I don't know my interaction with this subject matter, um, if I could if I could plant one thing in your head, um, at least for consideration, is that decarbonization is not too big. Uh, the climate change problem is not too big. It is reachable and you can touch it and impact it in whatever way that you want individually today. Like, we look at these things and they're so daunting. And what can I do? Like, I can't do anything about it. That is a myth. Um, Even just thinking about it is doing something about it. Um, Even just learning about it or talking about it or or however you choose to interface with it is is action. It it, it is not insurmountable. It is not beyond you. Um, You you have a part to play. You, your families, your communities... Um, you, you have a place in this discussion every day. Um, it's not just something that other people are going to figure out or that, you're, that, uh, that smarter people um, or specialists um, are, are working on. It needs to be something that I work on and you work on and you work on uh, every, uh, all the time. It is reachable. It's tangible. For everyone. Well, yeah, once again, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on the grid, and until next time. Till next time. Bye.
I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today, and you for listening along. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in joining us on the grid, email us at info at zprime.com. For updates, please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at zprime and on Twitter at zprime underscore research. This episode was produced by Ricky Murray and edited by Aria Labonte. Cover art is designed by Mia Dance.